Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to another week of Chasing Frets, and my, my co-host this week is the illustrious Joe Gore. How you doing, man? Well, not particularly illustrious, but I'm really stoked <laughs> to be here this week because uh, we get to talk with Kirk Fletcher, who is uh, not just an incredible guitarist, but um, uh, a real inspiring guy and a hoot to hang out with. Uh, we had a blast this week. Yeah, he is. He is such a ball of positive, fun energy, and yeah. whenever I'm able to corner one of these uh, blues guitar guys, I always love just talking to him about phrasing. And we kind of whittled that down in today's episode to really focus on on bending and phrasing and kind of uncover uh, some of the secrets that he might have discovered as a young kid. And, and in today's episode, he goes a lot into his background. You know, he was raised in a church. His father was a pastor. Uh, his brother was a musician. And he talks about that and a lot of his early influences and what he's kind of gleaned from them and how he uses them uh, in his on his on his new record, My Blues Pathway, which is which is out now. Yeah. And it's Pete, uh, you know, he talks about other aspects of articulation, too. And I mean, that would be interesting to hear from any great guitarist. But in Kirk's case, you know, when you hear him play an extended solo, he it's like he's doing a one man performance of a play. You know, there's just mm-hmm. so many different characters come out in the course of a solo. He 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 mixes it up, um, you know, as much as any blues player you've ever heard. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and a lot of it is all about his his uh, uh, the nuances of his playing, the phrasing, the articulation, the bends, and so forth. So uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. Exactly. So today is going to be Kirk Fletcher week uh, on chasing frets. So if you want to hit us up, you can reach us at chasing frets at premierguitar.com. So let's hop right in to uh, all the way from Switzerland. Here's our first conversation with Kirk Fletcher. All right, Kirk, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are things in Switzerland? Everything is pretty calm. I mean, it's a little more calm here than it is other places. So that I'm really grateful for, you know, but I still, my heart is with you know, the U.S. and all of my beautiful friends and family and musician friends and everybody. So, you know, I mean, we're all just trying to get through it, really. Yeah. I mean. Well, yeah. well, thanks again for being our, our guest of honor this my week. My pleasure. Yeah. Really. Dixon uh, and Joe ruling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so today's topic, we're going to talk about... Uh, an aspect of your playing that's really, really central, and that's going to be uh, bending and phrasing, and mm-hmm. how uh, how you kind of learned it, and and what things you think of 
when you maybe sit down to work on that kind of stuff or even players you really listen to to check out for those kind of ideas. So do you remember as a young Kurt Fletcher growing <laughs> up in L.A.? Yeah. The first time you bent a note a little bit and you were like, hey, what is what is that? I'm probably not doing it as 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 good as I should be, but I need to head down that path. Do you remember when that was? Absolutely. My older brother Walter played guitar, and you know I came along in the mid '80s when I picked up guitar. So you know it was a lot of just when you first start off, you don't start off with like folk songs on acoustic guitar. You're starting off with an electric guitar with gain already, you know, because that's the way it was. The amplifiers, I had a Randall RG80 112 combo amp and a Squire Strat. So quite naturally, no unwound G-string, you know, and all that stuff. You just kind of, you know, I was, I had the G-string and I would just bend it and bend it and bend it, you know, and so it just kind of came, you know, from that, you know, and there was always B.B. King, there was always Prince, there was always Eddie Hazel and Funk Records and um, Zap, you know, Roger. I mean, all of these guys, these funk players, and they kind of had this like bluesy thing, you know, Albert Collins I saw in 1988. So that was just along with the two or three chords I know, you know, I knew at that time, Bending was just all a part of it. So it's just as soon as I started, I was already bending strings, you know, through. And so you, you mentioned your, your your older brother. What mm-hmm. kind of stuff was he turning you on to? Like you mentioned some artists before. Would, did, those, did a lot of that music come from your older brother or did it come from maybe friends at school? Or Well, uh, my father um, was a pastor of a church called Macedonia Church of God in Christ. So, you know, my brother used to play there. And then we played together a little bit. So I would watch him play, you know, and I mean, his, you know, he was a modern guitar player, modern gospel, funk, R&B guitar player. So quite naturally, you know, all the techniques, you know, hammer-ons and, you know, pinch harmonics and all of that kind of stuff was just the language at that time, you know, so that's... I know it's not uncommon for young musicians who came up playing in the church, especially Mm -hmm. if you know, if there's a pastor in the family. Yeah. Were you guys, were you allowed to listen to secular music at home or did you? Well, early on, um, no. But, you know, the 80s were like video, you know, music videos. So for me, most people go, oh man, video, kill the radio star and all that kind of stuff, right? But for me, it was like it would come on TV and I could sneak and watch TV and watch music videos like all after school, you know. So I really heard a lot of music, you know, that way I would sneak at first. But then it kind of, you know, became more accepted. You know, it was like they loosened up a little and I would listen to everything, you know. So as you're uh, as young Kirk is uh playing with his brother and getting his bends more in tune. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when did you feel like you started to really get a handle on your, your intonation in bends and how did you, how did you approach that at a young age? Oh, well, listening to benders, listening to, <laughs> you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix, and, you know, even like Eddie Van Halen and Billy Gibbons and all of the eighties guitar players, you naturally start to kind of go, oh, that doesn't sound too good. Plus all of the singers, you know, listening to people in church and different things, I guess it's something sort of like slide guitar. You know how a slide guitar player 
learns how to make it more in tune and makes it more lyrical and things like that. I guess you start to develop like a command of the instrument and like you can tell that string what you needed to do. You know, I command you to like be in tune and like this whole thing, you know? It's like my big brother is um, C.T. Fletcher. He's a motivational speaker, power lifter guy. And he always says, I command you to grow. And it's similar to the guitar in that string bending to me. I know it's a little weird, but really, you know, you just get that thing and you just learn how to kind of make that string do what you want. But that comes with putting in the, you know, 80,000 hours or whatever of it. You know, that's really what it is. It starts to become second nature. You know, and you start trying to mimic different things, singers and, you know, plus Larry Carlton was a big one for me, too. You know, and like those, uh, you know, like Michael Frank's records, the Art of T and all of this kind of stuff. You know, he's got all of those sweet bands, Louis Sheldon, you know, like all those guys, too, along with BB. So our bending was very, very important. All, all those, all those people you you know between the the LA session guys and yeah, you know you're talking about players who you know who when they bend, they're not screwing around. They're just they're not kind yeah. of just playing some note in between the frets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. They're they're so in tune. Yeah, I mean, so you really you're trying to mimic. I wouldn't necessarily transcribe any anybody, but you know, just getting a feeling of it. Just you know, what about this player? You know, what about the feeling that this player projects that you can, you know, incorporate into your own thing? Yeah. And when did you really start to work on developing your sense of phrasing when it comes to, like you said, you've been listening, you're, in, you're growing up in the church, you're listening to, to singers and, and your brother and, and these other string benders that you, you mentioned. When did you really start to develop your concept of... Uh, of phrasing it when it comes to blues guitar specifically? Oh, that's a very good question. You know, um, growing up in church and growing up playing R&B and funk and all that kind of stuff and then taking a guitar solo over that kind of music, you tend to take a guitar solo. You don't, you know, it's just whatever it is. Plus you're young, you know, so you just kind of take a guitar solo and you kind of just do whatever you do. Maybe play fast, maybe, uh, you know, play some solo like Jesse Johnson from the time or Prince or something, you know. Um, but the, but what happened to me was, you know, really the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing, you know, that that learning all of that music, B.B. King, Albert Collins, learning all that. But then when I was about 19, I met um, Robin Ford, you know, and I got to see him play and really take these blues influences and things and really learn how to like play them all over the neck, you know, so you could have a little bit more of a fluidity, you know, with your phrasing. So I don't, I'm not, um, you know, really harmonically sophisticated. So I'm basically just playing pentatonic, you know, minor, major pentatonic, the blues scale and things and linking them all over the fingerboard. So you know, I took the phrasing from like Robin Ford, B.B. King, Otis Rush, Hubert Sumlin, you know, Larry Carlton, the mix of all of these different guys. I could just go on for hours talking about all of the influences, but that's really when I start to think about, oh, okay, 
you have to say something and you have to take your time and space. And, you know, Robin Ford hit me to like Miles Davis and all of these type players that, you know, I didn't know. I knew about Miles Davis. I love Miles Davis, but to really listen at Kind of Blue in its entirety, you don't have to be a jazz musician to understand that they're playing with a lot of space. You know, they're playing. Oh, that solo on So What? Yeah. You know, so just the concepts and the different ways of thinking about things in the bigger picture, like I love Supreme and all of these different things. I don't talk about this stuff much, but you brought up phrasing and I'm not a jazz player, but that really kind of like made me open my mind up, you know, and it made me hear Muddy Waters and Holland Wolf in a different way and, and appreciate the space and the beauty of those recordings even more from, you know, Robin hipping me to a lot of jazz records, you know, it's crazy, but that's kind of how it went with the phrasing, you know, not to argue with you, but I, th- I think you're being a little bit excessively modest about, um, you know, talking about how radically <laughs> simple you are, because, no. <laughs> uh, you know, you, 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 you stretch it. Um, there's, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's bits of you where, you know, you're definitely quoting a lot of swing stuff, a lot of night. Oh, yeah. Stuff. It's a pretty huge vocabulary and it's not always just straight up blues box stuff by any stretch. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, like this whole free thing, I think that, yeah, that that the whole free and you sort of just take the music in and you appreciate the music and all the different kinds of things. And it just kind of influences you in a way. Everything you hear in some kind of way, a vocal melody or something influences you. So maybe something's maybe the major scale or maybe just a melodic melody or something that I've heard and I'm, you know, misquoting it or something, <laughs> you know, but that's sort of, that's sort of, it is just more about the music side of it than it is me really knowing what I'm doing, you know, other than major, minor, <laughs> minor seven, 13, that's about it, you know, I mean, Earlier, when you were talking about bending in tune and how you kind of just almost by sheer force have to kind of will yourself into it. And, yeah. and it, I think a good analogy you made was was with slide guitar, because once you start bending that sp- string, the value of that fret goes down because yeah. once you start bending it, it's up to you, not the fret, to decide when that's in tune. Did you ever mess around with slide guitar as a youngster? No, I heard, you know, slide guitar players, a good friend of mine is Dave Melton from the LA area. And he played slide so good. I just like, man, I would just, if I ever needed slide, I just call up him. He's my dear friend. I just call it, you know, and I just lazy about it. But, you know, yeah, like, Derek Trucks, you know, just hearing like Derek Trucks play or Blake Mills or some of these guys or Ry Cooter, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really this thing. You, oh, I know what I was going to say. Sorry to switch, switch it up here, but you know, just the other day I was like trying to tune my guitar to like how Albert King tuned his guitar, which I don't quite know exactly what that was. Maybe like a B minor, C minor, something like, like that. Like an open, an open. Yeah, tuning? like an open okay. tuning, right? Uh-huh. And I realized by looking at his hands and the way he played that most of all of those beautiful licks that Albert King played was bends. I mean, he would just bend it to whatever 
I mean, so when you think about it like that, it's like, wow, what a command he had of bending. It's it's yeah. unbelievable and, how and he was a cool. he was a big muscular guy playing yeah. real skinny little strings. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like that's insane to think about all of that music and he's actually pretty much bending all is crazy. One thing about his style that I think is sometimes overlooked is that his bending motion is a pull, is a pulling yeah. rather than a pushing. Yeah, you know, it, and it reminds me of like a like pitchers like overhand versus underhand where underhand is a much natural motion for your yeah. arm to do yeah. as, as, instead of overhand, which I, th I do think that pulling down on the string like Albert would do, cause he'd play upside down yeah. is I, I, a more natural. By push, by push, you mean bending the string up towards your face and by pull, you mean pulling it down yeah. to the floor. Yeah. So right. okay. yeah. pushing it with your fingers up rather than just simply closing your hand. Yeah. Is kind of the motion he was doing that, that really, I think, added to his sound. Obviously, you know, and the, the sound vibrato. was in him. And the vibrato, yeah. right. And also, and... Otis Rush, too, is another one. Mm. I mean, Otis yeah. Rush, I love Otis Rush playing the Chicago blues musician. And his, he's doing the same thing, you know, playing, pulling down on the strings. You know, the highest string is on the top on your top, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Close to your head. Yeah, closest to you. <laughs> and, and the vibrato sounds different to me. It sounds oh, yeah. more like loose and like really kind of this thing, you know, and I love it, you know. So I tried to mimic that a little bit too, you know. I, I did try one time to, uh, I picked up a guitar that was strung like that. And yeah. boy, was I completely lost. Oh, me too. I mean, like Doyle Bramhall. Yeah, Aaron Doyle Gales too. And those guys, man, how, how they must think about that is just beyond me because it's, it's an entirely new ball frame of reference, you know, and they can, they can play and, and couple those licks that we've heard a million times on records but yeah. watching him, you know, same thing with Derek. When you watch him play without a slide in open E, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're hearing familiar, familiar sounds and, and familiar note combinations, but yeah. if you watch him, you just, you just get lost. Absolutely. <laughs> in, in more ways than one, I get lost, lost, mesmerized <laughs> by how great it sounds and lost the way he's done. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's, but you know, it's just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you said about, you know, if you think about it, the uh, underarm uh, uh, toss is a little more natural than the overarm. Yeah. It's a, well, think about it. You know, the skinny high notes are up towards the sky, and the big low notes are down towards the ground. And as you reach up, you know, yeah. it, it sort of it sort of makes more sense um, yeah. conceptually to have the high strings higher in space. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. All we're all. <laughs> Well, that's what's cool about guitar. Everybody does it wrong, and you get and the results are so interesting. You Isn't know? that great? I love it when that's people do things wrong. That's the best thing about guitar. Everybody invents it for themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. So one thing I want to wrap up this episode with, uh, Kirk, is you mentioned you're growing up in the '80s. Yeah. Uh, and you got hit by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to underestimate how much of an effect he had on bringing blues music to the mainstream. And yeah byproduct guitar and byproduct bending your strings like albert king yeah like what was it like in the 80s when a this this cat from texas just kind of showed up on the scene how did you first hear about him 
Well, you know, I first heard about him, I think, from my older brother, and he he got the Texas Flood cassette tape. This was in the mid-80s, though, you know, and um, I heard that, and I just immediately, there are certain guitar players that I just immediately try and play the songs, you know, and stuff, and, and it was really, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan was, he had music videos and things like that on MTV. So it was very accessible, him and Robert Cray too. And then when he passed away, you start to hear like his tone and different things like that on like beer commercials and and different Mm -hmm. things like that. So he really kind of changed the game to me as far as blues guitar and bringing that sort of Jimmy Albert King thing into the 80s, you know. So it was a, it was a very, I think it was part because he was so brilliant, you know, such a great guitar player. And then the fact that it was so accessible at that time, you know, he was on the cover of magazines and videos and you could easily get his music, you know, in the stores. So I think it was a combination of all that. And then being a rock star. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Being 12, 13, 14 years old, you're right at that age. I'm sure it was like that for people digging on Hendrix, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, Hendrix is, yeah, anyways. <laughs> That'll be a whole other episode. Talking about no, I think, I think, I think, I think Hendrix is, is underrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. even, even, even better, even better than people say. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, you know, a whole, like, you know, my, you know, decade by decade goes by with me and I'm like, damn, I learned something new, you know, or I think about something in a different way with him. Well, you're, you know, I couldn't agree more about you drawing the line from Albert to, you know, to Jimmy to Stevie Ray, you know, it's just a straight straight shot through those, you know, three styles. Especially Um, on the guitar, really, you know, the writing and all of the three minute pop songs Hendrix done that are still around today. That's a whole other thing. But just I'm talking I'm just talking about the hands on the guitar. (laughs) Well, well, thank you, Kirk, so much for uh, hanging with us this week, man. I'm so excited to have you. So we're going to have him back uh, later this week for a couple more episodes. So stick with us. Mm -hmm.